KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. I have girls from my team, girls from other teams, constantly coming into my office just wanting to chat about life. And that's always been my goal as a coach, to not only have you be the best athlete that you can be on the field, but also by the time that you leave university or you leave club, that you're just a really great citizen of your environment. And our guest this week is Melissa McCarthy. She is the head field hockey coach at Division Three Widener University. And Melissa, thanks so much for the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. So as we're talking here in early December, your season in the books as far as your fall season, what's life like right now? Is the main goal recruiting? Is it getting ready for spring? Like, where are we as far as the field hockey calendar is concerned for you? Field hockey, university-wise, we like to be training and kind of be together as a team year-round. So I gave the girls about two weeks off just to kind of decompress and get back into the swing of really focusing on their academics. But last week, we had our end-of-season individual meetings. We had a holiday party, and this week, the girls are actually in finals. So I take this opportunity to kind of do some winter cleaning, per se, of my office. And I'm in club right now, too. So my coaching doesn't stop. I try to hit the road as much as I can in the winter, but it's just an ongoing process between coaching, recruiting, and getting the girls involved in strength and conditioning. How tough is that? You mentioned coaching club a season is so intense is it hard to continue or go into coaching somewhere else do you wish you had a little bit of time to kind of take a deep breath and decompress or is it just part of the grind and it just is an extension and outlet for a sport that you love yeah that's a really good question luckily I love what I do every single day so yes it would be nice to have a moment to take a breath I think This year in particular, I maybe had three days between the end of collegiate season and the start of club season. But like I said, I love what I do. So I just, the grind is real. (laughs) Keep going year after year. And I'm headed into year 10 coaching club. So I wouldn't still be doing it if I didn't absolutely love it. I, I tend to take the summer months a little bit off from coaching. Where do you coach club? So I coach for WC Eagles Field Hockey Club, and it's located out in Spring City. How is, if at all, coaching club different from coaching collegiately? Are there different focuses? Are you the same coach in both scenarios? Yeah, I'm definitely the same coach with similar philosophies Um, when it comes to the club atmosphere. Right now, we're actually focused on indoor hockey. So it is a completely different game than outdoor college hockey. But I tend to stick to the same principles, whether I'm playing indoor or outdoor. I really try to teach my athletes the game rather than just stick to the specifics of indoor skills versus outdoor skills. I want my club girls to then go off to university and have a really good understanding of what the game of hockey is rather than just similar attributes of the game. For people who aren't familiar, can you give us a quick primer? Indoor field hockey, outdoor field hockey. What's because I know a lot of people will just be like field hockey's field hockey, but anybody that's paid attention to lacrosse, completely different sport when it's box lacrosse. Mm-hmm. Soccer, completely different sport when it's indoor. It's type of the same situation with field hockey. 
Yeah, yeah, pretty different. When you're playing indoor hockey, it's five field players plus a goalie, whereas outdoor hockey, it's a 10 field players plus a goalie. So six versus 11 on the field. Indoor hockey is played on tile. You have boards on the side that you can play the ball off of the boards. And just the overall tempo of the game in transition is a lot faster. Um, You can't lift the ball in between the attacking and defensive circles. So the game is really isolated to the ground. Whereas in outdoor hockey, you can be a bit more creative and play the ball in the air individually or um, to your teammate. So let's talk a little bit about you with regards to field hockey. Was it a sport you gravitated to really young? Was it a sport you came to late in life and fell in love with? Where does it fall on the spectrum of your growing up in your childhood? Yeah, so my mom grew up playing field hockey. She didn't play in college, but it was just something that she really enjoyed. But growing up in the hotbed of field hockey, right in the Delaware Valley area, hockey was always something that was very popular. And the school district that I was a part of actually would do summer camps every single year for youth athletes age six all the way up to going into high school. And so I picked up my first hockey stick in first grade, and it was just kind of fiddling around in the backyard. But as I got through elementary school and middle school, I really became a sports specialist at that point. Hockey was something I gravitated towards. I was good at it. I really enjoyed it. I would do track in the off season just to stay in shape for hockey. But it wasn't until my junior year of high school that I decided to join a club team and use that platform to really help me get recruited to college. And coincidentally, I played club for WC Eagles field hockey as well. So I was an athlete with the club and now coming back as a coach, I definitely attribute that club atmosphere to not only who I am as an athlete, but also a coach now. What was it specifically about the sport that you loved when you were Younger, Because you mentioned you're good at it. Was it you loved the sport and you became good at it? Or was it you were good at it and you loved the sport through being able to excel at it or somewhere in the middle? Yeah, I think it was somewhere in the middle. I've always been a faster kid. So the game of field hockey, even though back then we were playing on grass, just the fact that I was fast, I was able to be super athletic and get around my defenders. I always enjoyed scoring goals too. Just that rush of being able to hear the big bang of the backboard really excited me. And then just the overall love of the sport, I wanted to continue to get better at it. When I was a freshman at Haverford High School, I was the only freshman on varsity. So that really kind of raised my spirits and said, hey, like I'm actually really good at this. So just the constant push of having to compete against athletes that were potentially better than me, older than me, made me want to be the best version of myself as possible for my teammates too. You talked about speed. What else were you bringing to the table? Because you talk about starting as a freshman on varsity, that's hard to do in any sport. Mm -hmm. You know, what else in your skill set kind of helped set you apart? Yeah, I think I'm a really good student of the game. Not only am I a good student in the classroom, but I'm coachable too, even now as an adult still playing. Um, I was somebody that would continue to work really hard. If I didn't understand the concept right away, I was the first one on the field before practice, the last one off of the field after practice, just to make sure that I could really understand what my coaches were expecting and wanted out of me. So I think that really set me apart as an athlete from the other athletes on my team. 
when you think about it now, do you see the seeds of coaching planted during your playing career? Because you talk about staying late, wanting to learn. seems like that's a very easy transition to wanting to kind of turn that narrative around and teach others. Yeah, for sure. From an early age, I always knew that I wanted to be a teacher of some sort. Um, Even in high school, I was a part of the child development program where we were teaching preschoolers just basic learning skills. Um, The day camp that I was a part of as a youth athlete, I went back and was coaching that youth camp. And I remember after one of the weeks at camp, we all went to the local Barnabies on Westchester Pike to kind of celebrate the end of camp. And we were talking about where we would be in the next five years. And all of my teammates said, you are going to be a teacher. You're going to continue with hockey. We expect that from you. And that was back when I was in ninth grade as well. So that's really always been a quality that I've had just educating, whether it's in the classroom or on the field. But it really wasn't until later in my collegiate career that I really saw myself continuing to coach field hockey. Kind of when you saw that your career was coming to a close, you're not ready to really walk away from the sport. And I knew that I wasn't going on to play professionally for the U.S. team. So this was my way of staying involved with the game. You start college career at Millersville. You go to Hofstra halfway through. Was the goal always to eventually go to Division One, start at Millersville, and then see it? Or was it kind of a you got halfway through, you kind of looked, took a lay at the land, say, I, I think I can take the jump? Kind of what went into all that? Yeah, I think starting club at a little bit of a later age, it, it really wasn't common to start club in your junior year of high school. Usually you start maybe in middle school. So I was a little bit behind the eight ball, per se, when it came to recruiting. I was really just focused on academics and if I liked the school and then if hockey came along with it that would be fantastic and about two years into my career at Millersville I said hey I think I can take that jump to the next level athletically and academically and that's when I decided to transfer to Hofstra and the transition in general I'd say to start it was a little bit difficult just a completely different tempo of the game than I had been playing for the past two years different surface and then also a different Mm -hmm. academic environment as well. Was it because you mentioned faster tempo and that's one of the things when I talk to people who go up levels that change and even going high school to college speed of the game almost regardless of said game is the answer that the the biggest adjustment was you go from high school slash club to Millersville was the jump as big there as it was Millersville to Hofstra where they kind of equal steps up or was it much more tangible when you went to Hofstra? Yeah, I think the jump from high school and club to Millersville was easier than my jump from Millersville to Hofstra. Um, I had already been playing at a high level with WC Eagles and stepping onto the field at Millersville. I had been starting from day one. I played at that point, the game was 70 minutes. So I was playing all 70 minutes at Millersville. And then when I made the jump to Hofstra, it was kind of like starting all over again. You're playing on a completely different playing surface. So at Hofstra, we played on a water-based astro surface, more like a carpet. So all of the skills that I had been using on field turf and grass for years were kind of irrelevant at that point. Um, So I really had to focus on refining my skill set And I understood that making that transfer to Hofstra that I might not be playing all 70 minutes, I might not even be starting, but 
as soon as I started stepping into more and more playing time, it was just, hey, now, how can I be a starter? And I actually completely changed positions from Millersville to Hofstra. Millersville, I was more of like an attacking midfielder, whereas Hofstra, I became a right defender, which was a position I had never played before. Um, So really just being a team player and stepping into any role that my coaches saw fit for me was a big adjustment for me, too. I'm fascinated by the idea of the surface change and the effect that had. Was that something that slapped you in the face when you started at Hofstra? Because I can imagine that is not when you are juggling the where to play, where to go to school, the what type of surface do they play on probably is really low if it's on the list at all of things you're considering. But to bring it up like that, it had a massive effect on you as a player. Do you remember coming to grips with that? Like realizing like, oh my God, this is completely different. Were there moments of like, what have I done? Or were you pretty much like, okay, we'll figure it out? Yeah, it was a big slap in the face for sure. And especially because I transferred as a junior, there were some sophomores on the team that were like, Mel, come on, you you got to be sweeping the ball. Why are you hitting it all of the time? For me, I was like, okay, if I want to step into a playing role, eventually a starting role, this is a moment where I'm going to have to learn from athletes that maybe are younger than me, but yeah, they do have more experience than me. So again, I would be the first one out on the field working on how to sweep the ball appropriately, the last one off the field if I wasn't getting the skill properly. But then it was also kind of learning what I was really good at at that point. So being a little bit older, junior and senior, maybe my sweeping wasn't the best, but I knew that I could hit the ball just as hard and just as flat on the ground. So kind of accepting, hey, this is where I'm at, but this is also what I bring to the table. And it might be a little bit different than the other players on the field, but I can get the job done just as well. Do you remember the first time when you were at Hofstra where you kind of exhaled and be like, all right, we're going to be good. Was there a practice or a workout or a game where it kind of clicked or you realized that your adjustments were going to to get it done? Like, was there a standout moment? Yeah, I definitely think it was one of my first games that I had played for Hofstra. And we were actually up at UConn playing Stanford. And I hadn't started. I'd been a sub and I was put into the game. It's my first D1 game. Super nervous. But I continued to play. I wasn't taken out. And then we end up going into overtime. And at that point, Stanford had been nationally ranked. And Coach Kathy says, okay, Mel, you're going to be in the starting lineup for overtime. I was like, oh, my goodness, here we go. (laughs) And I think that was kind of like a deep breath. Yeah, I'm a little bit nervous, but hey, my coach selected me for this period. She thinks that I am one of the best to get the job done. And the next few games, I, I had gotten significant playing time, still wasn't in a starting role. And I still remember the first time my name came up on the board in pregame to start. And I was starting against Albany and that game, I actually ended up assisting on one of the goals. And then from that moment on, I had continued to start and was like, hey, like, I can do this. I'm actually doing it. And uh, it was just overall great experience. And you mentioned the changing of positions as well. So you're adjusting to the change you have to make in your skill set. And you're also adjusting to changing positions when you go from Millersville to Hofstra. Does it actually help? that you've got all this at once, like you can just completely reinvent yourself would have been harder to change the skill set. And then maybe halfway through the season or the next year, 
be asked to change the position, like almost tear it completely down and build it up again the way it has to be? Yeah, and I think that that was my goal with the transfer process to just really having a clean slate and seeing who I could be. Just a fresh start, you know, and I think that's what I got academically, athletically, and also just as a person in general. I definitely wouldn't be a collegiate head coach if it wasn't for that transfer experience. And it really just made me fall in love with the game all over again in a really exciting way. You mentioned that first game against Stanford. What are some of your other favorite memories from your college playing days, Millersville or Hofstra? Oh, it's tough to think back to all of the exciting games. Um, In particular, I remember playing ODU at down at ODU when they were ranked number one in the country. And I was tasked with marking their highest score for that entire game and really saying, oh my goodness, this player is so good. It, It was just such a challenge for me. And even though we ended up losing that game, I'll never forget what that experience was like. Another exciting game for me, and that's something that we still talk about, was my senior year when we played Towson at Hofstra. And the game-winning goal was an attack penalty corner, and every contributor was a senior at that point. So a senior had inserted the ball, a senior had stick-stopped the ball, a senior had hit the ball, and me as a senior, I had deflected the ball into the cage. And that was just a really exciting moment. One thing that I can't forget, obviously, is when I broke my jaw my junior year, um, kind of a traumatic experience, but that experience definitely made me a much stronger person in general. Um, So those are just a few that stick out to me for sure. Was it in a game you broke your jaw? Was it in practice or was it completely unrelated to field hockey? Oh, it was related to field (laughs) hockey. Um, It was in a game versus Northeastern, and we were the two and three team at the time in the conference. And that was kind of the highest we had been ranked in our conference in quite some time. And within the first six minutes of the game, I broke my jaw, took a stick to the face. That's a pretty traumatic injury from the idea of the impact it can have on your everyday life. Because uh, did you have to have it wired shut and everything and, and all that? Yeah. So I actually had to have nearly immediate surgery. So I had two titanium plates placed in my jaw. The way that my mandible had been fractured, it was right through where all of the main, and I'm sorry if this is like a little bit too much for listeners, Um, but the way that my jaw had been fractured, right where all of the nerve endings run through your mandible was actually fractured in half. So there were a lot of question marks for sure, whether just regular function of the mandible would be there after surgery. And I was wired shut for about, oh God, I can't remember, six to eight weeks. And I had to continue to watch my team compete for the last three weeks of the season. And my mom, bless her, drove me all the way down for CAA championships. When I was wired shut, I still had stitches in my jaw, but I wanted to be there for my team. And my team was so supportive through that. Really grateful. And I think that they played a huge role for me in the recovery process that it would have been even more difficult to do it alone. And I was super grateful for them. Was that your junior year? Yeah, my junior year. So I had transferred, finally got a starting role, and then I break my jaw and can't compete in postseason. <laughs> How long did it take, or I'd be scared to death to jump back yeah. in when you deal with something like that, even though it's rare in the sport, you I would be seeing ghosts everywhere worrying it was going to happen again. How long did it take you to 
be able to put it past you and just play with abandon again? Or was it something that was always hanging out in the back of your mind and, you know, you would have maybe flashbacks if something flashed a little too close? Yeah. And that's, it's definitely a work in progress. And I'd say even now, and we're over 10 years post-accident, there are certain things, like certain sounds, if you hear two sticks hitting, like, oh, (laughs) or if somebody swings and misses the ball and gets super close to one of my athletes, I I still get a little bit of flashbacks. But I was back playing. So the accident happened at the end of October. I was back playing with a face mask, probably by the end of February. And I continued to play with a face mask my senior season and then probably four years after graduating college, I was still playing with a face mask on. Now I don't play with a face mask, but I definitely don't put myself in those positions to get injured again because my surgery was super successful. And if that happened again, I don't know where where I'd be really for sure. How was the mask adjustment to the mask? I mean, obviously you want to have it, have to have it, but I know talking to folks that played sports that have had to wear face masks for different reasons, it can be a pain. You know, you've got to adjust it. Some of them fog up if you're not wearing it correctly. Mm -hmm. Like how much of a challenge was just kind of that getting used to wearing it, finding out how to wear it correctly and wear it to a point where it doesn't affect your play and the way you approach the game. I was really lucky that I had a whole spring and summer to kind of figure it out before season. But I do remember it would fog up. I had no peripheral vision, so I'd have to completely turn my head. Luckily, I did have like a hole where my mouth was, but the hole didn't permit a ball to kind of go through. So I really didn't have to wear a mouth guard, too. So my communication was a lot clearer. Granted, everything I was kind of going through in the mouth area. But I remember working with my athletic trainer to readjust the straps. I had to put different types of memory foam on my headpiece to sit the mask further off of my face so then it wouldn't fog up. Just a lot of trial and error. And then eventually we found something that worked and we just kind of went with it. We need to take a break. We will have more with Melissa McCarthy right after this. This is One on One. A Philadelphia dentist today was sentenced to 22 years in prison and fined $100,000. This was just unbelievable. You gotta understand the genius in Larry. Nobody was doing coke at this point. No one could believe that this highly educated, young, handsome man was this kingpin drug dealer. This is Wolves Among Us, the Larry Lavin story. A documentary podcast from C13 Originals, the Cadence 13 studio. Listen now on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back on -on one-on-one. Our guest this week is Widener University head field hockey coach, Melissa McCarthy. So when does coaching enter the arena? We talked about the way you approach the game kind of led to it, but you said kind of late in college is when it starts to open. What's the door? Does an opportunity come around? Do you start kind of looking around, getting a feel for the landscape? What's the, what's the entryway? Yeah, so it actually, it ties back to WC Eagles again. I graduated on a Saturday and the following Monday, I was back at WC Eagles learning from my former club coaches because I always knew that if I wanted to get into coaching, I have to be the best coach there is. And sometimes that starts by just 
learning at the base level. So I was shadowing my club coaches. I was working with the babies, the U10 babies for multiple years. And then a door opened up through USA field hockey, through some of my younger sister, Jess's college coaches, uh, Denise Zelenak and Nikki Hitchens, who had worked with the developmental pipeline for many years. And they said, Hey, we would love to get you involved with working with some of the more elite level athletes. And so I think just the combination of youth athletics and then working with the elite level high school athletes through the pipeline then made me a really strong candidate for the assistant job here at Widener. Do you think back or kind of take a step back, I should say, when you think about the experience you had in your career playing at a high level, but transferring the learning a new position the complete adjustment of the skill set, the overcoming injury, you must have an empathetic tool set from a coach standpoint that is probably unrivaled when it comes to seeing a kid struggling and being genuinely, not just caring, but genuinely able to connect and say, hey, listen, I get it. It sucks. It's going to get better. And here's why. Do you notice that as a coach? And do other I'm curious, do other coaches point that out that that is really a point of strength for you because of what you you've battled through? Yeah, definitely. And through that experience, I really consider myself an underdog. And I think in order to let your athletes be vulnerable enough to share the struggles that they're going through as a coach, you have to be vulnerable too. And so, as soon as I set foot on campus here at Widener, my injury and my transfer process really are qualities that make me unique and things that are notable in my life. So those are things that I immediately shared with my athletes. So my athletes know that I had this serious injury. My athletes know that I went through a really difficult time with my transfer process. And just having them being able to see me in the position I am now and reassure them that, hey, things might not make sense to you right now, but I promise in in a year's time, in five years, 10 years, you will end up where you were meant to end up and be very successful has definitely reassured them to kind of work through some of their struggles. And I have girls from my team, girls from other teams constantly coming into my office, just wanting to chat about life. And that's always been my goal as a coach to not only have you be the best athlete that you can be on the field, but also by the time that you leave university or you leave club, that you're just a really great citizen of your environment. And I want you to be able to come back and show me how great things are going afterwards. Are you, this is going to sound weird. Like (laughs) I can only imagine like the fear you went through when you realize like how you play the game isn't going to work at this place. It's a whole Mm -hmm. different type of fear when you get hurt like that and you're constantly worried, but are you grateful to have experienced those fears, wouldn't want to do it again, but (laughs) it's really shaped who you are today. Yeah. I mean, definitely overcoming adversity shapes every athlete, but also a human. My, my injury really changed my outlook on life that things aren't just given to you. You have to constantly work for them. And that entire winter after my injury, I mean, I had been wired shut for six to eight weeks. I had lost nearly 20 pounds. Every calorie I was consuming was essentially just towards surviving. 
And I had to spend the entire winter training with our strength coach just to get back to a base level of health. So being able to fight through adversity and just have a really strong mindset, not only helped me as an athlete and a coach, but just a person in general, that things aren't always going to go the way that you had planned or hoped, but you have to keep fighting through everything and fight for what you deserve and fight for what you want to. So specifically, what got you in the door at Widener? How do you come on campus first as an assistant? Yeah, so the job had been posted. And I remember at that point, I had been coaching track at Marple Newtown High School. And the job was posted to our national database. And I was like, oh, I think that this could be like a really good step for me going from coaching youth club up to a higher level. And I think being kind of a recognized athlete within the Delaware County community really set me apart from other applicants at Widener. And I remember coming in for an in-person interview with the previous head coach, Larissa Gillespie, and we really had a nice connection and it was easy to talk to her. And I think that I brought just kind of a youthful outlook on an ever-changing game. And we were on staff together for five years before she was promoted to associate athletics director. So then you take over the program and that's 2019. That's like after the 2019 Correct. season, right? So we're talking late Correct. fall, early winter, 2019. Mm-hmm. When you take over the program, did you know what you didn't know? How long did it take before you were handed a paper or got a phone call that something was now under your umbrella that you didn't realize you were going to have to deal with or working that close with the head coach for that long and being and staying in the same program? Did you have a very good working knowledge of what you were getting into taking things over? Yeah, I think having been a part of the program for so long, I already understood the culture that is Widener Field Hockey and knowing the girls already was extremely helpful. I had been doing a lot of the recruiting to that point. So I knew who was already in the recruiting database. They had already met me. So that wasn't a big transition. But I think the biggest thing was in March, COVID happened and everything shut down. And here I am as a first year head coach. And now I can't even do what is my identity, really. Everything had been shut down at that point, And I'm trying to get my girls to finish the semester strong virtually. So that was something that I don't think anybody could have been prepared for. I can only imagine how much more difficult it would have been if you were taking over a program you hadn't been an assistant with because the mm-hmm. the ability to connect with the kids. I mean, it's not impossible over Zoom, but it would have been really a lot harder. I would guess you at least had a basis of knowledge with the kids and relationships with them where you were able, at least the kids that had been in the program to to maintain that and grow on that. Definitely. I was super lucky amongst all of the difficulties that the pandemic brought that I had already had that relationship with majority of the team. You guys didn't compete in the fall of 2020 as far as games. Is that correct? Or did you get at least a foot in the water? Correct. We did not compete in fall of 2020. We couldn't even practice in fall of 2020, because most classes were still virtual at that point. Just a a few had been in person on campus, but we had no organized athletics that semester. How tough was that? I think it's one thing to try to keep a program together during the off season. It's difficult, but you know, now everybody understands why, but this is when it's supposed to be go time. This is when You know, and how tough was that for you as someone who's lived and died with this sport for years to not have it really available like you're used to having it available? 
yeah, it was really difficult for not only myself, but for the girls emotionally, physically, mentally. For me, it's something that not only is my job, but it's also my hobby. And it's what I love to do. And if I have free time, I want to watch hockey. If I have free time, I want to play hockey. Well, now hockey is no more. So I think that semester really forced me to find other things that I'm interested in and figure out who I really was outside of field hockey. So when you finally get a chance, I guess, fall 2021 or late summer 2021, what's it like to coach as a head coach? For the first time and then kind of factoring in the this has been building up for a year and a half now almost two years to have this moment result aside how much fun was it to just finally kind of unleash that and be a head coach at the collegiate level yeah I mean I had been kind of considered a head coach even with clubs so I was pretty confident in my abilities on the field and it was my abilities off of the field and in the office, those are things that I was still continuing to work on. But as soon as it was go time, like I was ready. That was also our 50th year of Widener field hockey. So the girls were super excited. The alum were super excited. I mean, you hit it that the buildup was just exponential because they have been waiting for this opportunity for so long. So a lot of the girls came in for preseason, ready to go, excited and knowing that it would be such a special year for so many different reasons. As so Someone who competed at a high level, how tough is it when you start to coach regardless of the level, but there is a limit to the impact you can have. You can drill kids, you can show them film, you can show them how it is, but they have to do it. How hard was it? Is it ongoing battle for you to let go that control and, you know, not be able to do what you know has to be done and hope the kid can do it? Yeah, I think that's the biggest struggle for every coach being like, I just want to take the stick and go onto the field and do it myself because I know I can do it. Um, So I think it really just boils down to knowing the athletes on your team and how they best learn and celebrating the little victories. Um, So one of my athletes may learn best by me physically moving her around the field to understand space. And some of my athletes may look at something on the board or listen to me articulate it, and then they can go and do it. So I have to find different ways to set each athlete up for success. But yes, there are still moments, even after 10 years, that I want to grab the stick and just run onto the field and capitalize on an attack penalty corner tip more than anybody. Um, I don't honestly think it gets easier over time, really. Now, you mentioned you're still playing. Mm -hmm, Correct. Who are you playing with? Who do you play with? Yeah, so there's an adult club kind of team and league, I guess, and within the Philadelphia area. So I have a few friends that had been a part of that team for many years, and they had qualified for nationals probably maybe like four or five years ago, and they needed a few extra players. And I didn't even know that the league existed. And they're like, hey, Mel, you want to come play for us? And myself and my younger sister, Jess, we went and played with this team and we came in second place, which was awesome for never having competed with each other at all. And uh, we continued to stay on that club. So we play for a club called Running on Empty. And you have to compete in the fall. And if you win your division in the fall, then you qualify for nationals. So we've been to nationals every single year Mm -hmm. since then. And we still continue to compete at a high level. But now we're starting to see the younger generation come in and join the league. So we're starting to learn how to play 
smarter hockey when the physical ability starts to kind of take a backseat. How much does being able to have that playing outlet help make you a better coach? Because you're staying directly in touch with little intricacies of the game that maybe you're changing or focusing on or still learning from the athletic standpoint that you can able to translate to coaching. How much does that help you? Yeah, I think just staying involved in the game and then seeing what other teams are doing, how they're innovating the game also in turn helps me as a coach. I think it also helps me relate to my athletes saying, hey, above all, you just have to love what you're doing. And the fact that I'm still playing, I still love the game. And I don't want you to feel like you have to come to practice every single day. You should want to come to practice every single day. Our games for this adult league are Saturday mornings. So I'm up playing a game at 8.30 in the morning, being there for my team outside of Widener. And then we may be playing a game at Widener at 2 p.m. But I just absolutely love this sport. And I want them to see my dedication to both teams, too. If you had a 30-second elevator pitch to somebody to try to get them into field hockey, what would it be? What do you want people to know about why the sport is so special? Yeah, I think it's so special just based off of the tight-knit community that you can build through this sport, especially being located in the Philadelphia area. It is so popular, but if you go into the Midwest, people don't even know about field hockey. The game is a game of quick transition, strategy, excitement. The game is never the same any given time at all. And I think we are one sport that year to year, the rules continue to change that make the game even faster and more exciting. And anybody that watches a hockey game, I guarantee they're going to come back and watch or at least want to try because they're confused about the rules too. Uh, Why are so many whistles blowing at this point in time? What is that for? But just the overall community of friends and coaches and athletes that I've developed through the sport is something super valuable to me. And you mentioned those whistles because I've had a couple people who have you know gotten into field hockey or watch it or cover it more than they used to. And the rules is something I hear a lot of people come back to. Do you feel that all the rules and you talked about them changing, does it hold the sport back or would the sport not be the sport without all of that? I think it's it. All of the rule changes really just make the game so much more exciting. I remember back when I was playing in high school and the self-start rule wasn't even a thing. So the game was just so slow. You had to wait until your whole team was ahead of the ball and then you would just bash it up the field. Um, So I think with all of these rule changes, it's made the game so much more exciting. It's made it faster, but in the same breath, it's made it safer too. Um, You see less, well, you still see injuries, but less injuries nowadays versus when you would just like hit the ball up the field. Um, There are specific rules for the distance away from the ball that you have to be before hitting it into the circle. So, so, so many exciting things. And then I also think that all of these rule changes really have to keep the coaches on their toes per se, and they have to then be innovative of how are we going to combat this different rule change or what are other coaches and other teams going to do creatively with these rule changes. Uh, So it's very, very exciting for me. Melissa McCarthy, this was so much fun. Thanks for taking the time. Of course. Thanks for having me. 
And that will do it for this week's episode. Want to thank Melissa McCarthy, head field hockey coach at Widener University, for being our guest this week. If you like the show, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at 101Pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at MattLeon1060. Thanks so much for listening. And this is our last show of the calendar year 2022. So thanks so much for your support. And we will be back in 2023 with more conversations with people you should know more about.